0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the April 18 edition of Work Comp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folsom, attorney with Floyd, Scarn and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The California Supreme Court agreed to review the newest workers' compensation litigation nightmare. Early this year, the Court of Appeal opened the Pandora's Box of Potential Litigation Against Utilization Review Physicians in the published case of Kirk King versus Comp Partners Incorporated. Kirk King suffered an anxiety and depression due to chronic back pain resulting from a back injury at work in 2008. In 2011, his PTP prescribed an anti-anxiety medication known as clonopin. The anesthesiologist who conducted the utilization review determined the drug was not necessary and decertified it. As a result, Kirk was required to immediately cease taking clonopin. But, typically a person withdraws from clonopin gradually by slowly reducing the dosage. Due to his sudden cessation of clonopin, King suffered four seizures, resulting in additional physical injuries. In twenty thirteen, another request for clonopin was made by the PTP, and a second utilization review also said that clonopin was medically unnecessary. Neither of the UR physicians examined Kirk in person and neither warned Kirk of the dangers of an abrupt withdrawal from clonopin. The two UR doctors were employees of Comp Partners, a workers compensation utilization review company. King then sued comp partners and the UR doctors for negligence. The trial court sustained a demurrer to his lawsuit without leave to amend, but the Court of Appeals sustained the demurrer and reversed the denial of the leave to amend. The Court of Appeals said, that to the extent the Kings are faulting the U.R. doctors for not communicating a warning to Kirk, their claims are not preempted by the Workers' Compensation Act. Now, the California Supreme Court granted a petition to review the case, potentially leading to a more favorable defense result. The King case will be the workers' compensation high-profile case for the remainder of the year. The list of amicus parties already includes many stakeholders organizations such as the California Workers' Compensation Institute, the California Chamber of Commerce, the California Applicants' Attorneys Association, and much more. Workers' Compensation UR and IMR seems to be constantly under attack. The King case is just the current battle in a larger war. And in regulatory news... Workers' Compensation Appeals Board Chairwoman Ronnie Kaplan is retiring from state service at the end of April. She was appointed Commissioner in 2003 by Governor Gray Davis and reappointed in 2009 by Governor Schwarzenegger and appointed Chairwoman by Governor Jerry Brown in 2011. Commissioner Kaplan was admitted to the State Bar in 1975 after graduating from the University of Wisconsin-Madison and UC Hastings College of Law. She was an associate attorney for Lewis, Ruda, and Lewis from 1976 to 78, and then a trial attorney for the U.S. Department of Justice's Civil Division from 1979 to 1982, Kaplan was also a partner with Brunel and Kaplan from 1983 to 1985 and a freelance writer and columnist for East Bay Area Publications, The Piedmonter and Montclarion from 1992 to 2006. She has published essays in newspapers throughout the country, including the San Francisco Chronicle, the Cleveland Plain Dealer, the Chicago Tribune, the Detroit Free Press, the Recorder, legal times and various other publications she has also served as a member and president of the piedmont school board her leadership in education and work to improve the east bay community led assemblywoman wilma chan to name her woman of the year in 2004 commissioner kaplan volunteered thousands of hours for a myriad of community organizations Following retirement, she will be joining the Zenith Insurance Company as a vice president. The Return to Work Supplement Program is one of the components of SB 863. The labor code requires the director of the DWC to administer a $120 $120 million fund for the purpose of making supplemental payments to workers whose permanent disability benefits are disproportionately low in comparison to their earnings losses. The program is based on studies conducted by RAND regarding permanent disability, specifically identifying permanently disabled workers with disproportionate Earning losses for supplemental payments. A petition filed by the California Applicants Attorneys Association voiced concern that the regulations implemented for the Return to Work Supplement Program did not give claimants enough time after the law became effective to file their claims. CAW believes that the low number of applicants to the Return to Work Supplement Program in 2015 is most likely due to this lack of notice of eligibility as well as some difficulties in using the online application process. The proposed regulatory changes will extend the time limit. The CAW petition to amend regulations can be found on the DIR website. The WCIRB reports that the California workers' compensation insurance industry has finally lowered the combined loss ratio below 100% in 2015. The new report includes also says that premiums charged for 2015 is approximately $17.6 billion, which is 7% above 2014. But... The industry average rate per $100 of payroll for the second half of 2015 was 5% below the average rate for the first six months of the same year. This is the first decrease in rates charged since 2009. Total ultimate losses for 2015 is expected to be $13.1 billion, which is 5% above the projection for 2014, and 34% above 2009. The WCIRB projects an ultimate combined loss and expense ratio of 102% for 2015. 60% of this ratio is attributable to the indemnity and medical loss, and 42% to the loss adjustment and other expenses. Indemnity claim frequency for 2015 is expected to be 1% below 2014, but 12% above the frequency for 2009. The frequency increases over the last five years are largely attributed to increases in cumulative injury claims, late reported indemnity claims, claims involving injuries to multiple body parts, and claims from the Los Angeles area. The average projected costs of a 2015 indemnity claims is $85,000, which is 3% higher than the 2014 and 6% higher than in 2015. And now our fraud report. 41-year-old Kenai David Scantlin of Valley Springs, a former insurance agent conducting business as Kenai Save Insurance Services, was convicted of insurance fraud and sentenced to 60 days in jail, three years formal probation, and ordered to pay $20,000 restitution. An investigation by the California Department of Insurance and the Amador County Workers' Compensation Fraud Unit revealed that Scantlin received premiums from business owners to purchase general liability and workers' compensation coverage, but he failed to forward the money to the insurer. He pocketed about $20,000 from six clients, mostly contractors, and then provided his clients with fraudulent insurance certificates showing they had valid coverage. The Department of Insurance is concerned that there are more victims that may believe they have insurance and do not have coverage. Anyone who purchased insurance coverage from Scantlin between 2012 and 2015 and received an insurance certificate should make sure they have an actual copy of a policy or contact their insurer and verify coverage. Scantlin was sentenced on April 6th and has so far paid back $11,000 to his victims. His agent license is currently suspended and the department is taking action to permanently revoke his license. A convicted Napa physician will be allowed to continue his practice after release from prison. Ali Vaziri, is a board-certified gastroenterologist with a practice called the Center for Digestive and Liver in Napa. He has agreed to pay $400,000 to the U.S. government to settle allegations that he filed false claims for Medicare reimbursement. The agreement settles civil allegations, but it provides that he does not admit to any liability. Federal attorneys said that Vaziri billed Medicare for patient office visits that were longer and included more services than the consultations he actually provided. He was also alleged to have billed separately for office visits that were required to be billed together with colonoscopies. The doctor, who is a 1990 graduate of the Tufts University School of Medicine, has faced a number of legal challenges in recent years. In June 2015, the Medical Board of California placed him on seven years probation and prohibited him from supervising physician assistants because of a criminal conviction for tax fraud. In June 2014, Vizuri was sentenced to a year and a day in federal prison for tax fraud after cheating the IRS of more than $116,700. Vasari served his sentence at a federal facility in Lompoc. He was sentenced under a plea agreement reached in early 2014. The charges were filed in connection with income and expenses from his medical practice. In exchange for his guilty plea, federal prosecutors dropped health care fraud allegations. Missouri attracted the attention of federal officials beginning in 2009 when he was suspected of overbilling and falsely billing Medicare. As the investigation progressed, federal investigators delved into potential income tax fraud. In 2012, he was charged by a federal grand jury in San Francisco with nine counts of health care fraud and six counts of filing a false federal income tax return. However, despite all of this, Vaziri will be fully permitted to practice medicine. 48-year-old Elizabeth Louise Brown of Canyon Country, who was a former claims adjuster with Explorer Insurance, was arrested and charged with multiple felonies, including insurance fraud and allegedly embezzling more than a quarter million dollars from her employer. Another eight were also arrested and charged with fraud. Additional arrests are expected as the investigation continues. While employed by Explorer Insurance as a claims adjuster, Brown allegedly embezzled from the company by adding friends and family members to pending claims. Explorer Insurance ultimately identified fraudulent checks issued in 87 claims assigned to her. Explorer terminated Brown's employment, and reported the suspected crimes to the department, which launched a criminal investigation. This case is being prosecuted by the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office Auto Insurance Fraud Division. Five defendants were arraigned in Orange County for committing over $635,000 in tax and insurance fraud and failing to pay employees' prevailing wage on public works contracts. Each of the five are charged with eight felony counts of taking and receiving a portion of a worker's wage on a public work, 56 felony counts of recording a false or forged instrument, six felony counts of making a false statement, to discourage an injured worker from claiming workers' compensation benefits and seven felony counts of willful failure to pay taxes. They also face a sentencing enhancement for property loss over $200,000. Two of the five are also charged with three felony counts of misrepresenting facts to a workers' compensation insurance company. If convicted, the defendants face a maximum sentence of 49 years and six months in state prison. A pretrial hearing is set for May 12 in Santa Ana. Two of the accused were owners and operators of PCN3, a general contracting company that mainly conducts public works projects. The defendants are accused of fraudulently paying employees less than the prevailing wage in cash and keeping the extra money owed to their employees. They are also accused of shorting the victims' hours on certified payroll reports and requiring their victims to give back cash. One of the defendants was an office clerk who allegedly signed the fraudulent certified payroll records under penalty of perjury. Some of the defendants are also accused of discouraging employees from filing for workers' compensation benefits after being injured. And in medical news, the use of wearable technology to improve outcomes for workers' comp injuries was one of the topics presented at the RIMS annual conference this month. When a paralyzed mother wearing this technology crossed the finish line of the 26.2-mile London Marathon, it marked a watershed moment for wearable technology. And according to the Vice President of One Call Care Management and the Workers' Compensation Program Manager for the San Diego County and Imperial Schools, both of whom spoke at this April conference in San Diego, the exoskeleton has now arrived. The exoskeleton enables paraplegics, amputees, and people with muscle or nerve damages to walk, and it has now been approved by the FDA. It is the latest milestone in the new world of wearable technology for injured workers, and their presentation introduced attendees to ways in which wearable technology can benefit injured workers, their employers, and payers. Other types of wearable technology that are applicable in the workplace range from postural devices to activity trackers to GPS locators. Benefits of these devices include wellness, prevention of injuries, increased productivity, compliance with treatment regimens, and preventing injury and avoiding re-injury, as well as enhanced independence and improved quality of life. As wearable technologies are introduced into the workplace and especially for the treatment of injured workers, Specialists, such as assistive technology experts, can advise claims managers on which technologies may be most appropriate. Assistive technology is an umbrella term that includes assistive, adaptive, and rehabilitative devices for people with disabilities and also includes the processes used in selecting, locating, and using them. Assistive technology promotes greater independence by enabling people to perform tasks that they were formerly unable to accomplish or had great difficulty accomplishing. The Rehabilitation, Engineering, and Assistive Technology Society, that's RESNA, of North America advances the field by offering certification, continuing education, and professional development for professionals in the field. RESNA Certified Assistive Technology Experts can be located nationwide by using the search tool on the RESNA website. And the California State University in Northridge Center on Disabilities just finished its 31st annual International Technology and Persons with Disabilities Conference last month in San Diego. For over 30 years, the annual conference has provided an inclusive setting to share knowledge and best practices in the field of assistive technology. More than 4,800 people attended the San Diego conference in 2015. The conference is the largest of its kind in the world. The 32nd annual CSUN conference is scheduled next year between February 27 and March 4 in 2017 at the Manchester Grand Hyatt Hotel in San Diego. CSUN also just launched two new master's degrees in assistive technology. The university claims that assistive technology is one of the fastest-growing segments of the rapidly expanding health and human services field. And with that story, that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and for much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, iPod, or Android device. By searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Lloyd Scurran and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.